0: I'm Chris Tapley and you're listening to The Call Sheet, a show that dives deep into the craft of your favorite Netflix films and series with some of the most talented artists and artisans in the game. It's been four months since we settled in with someone here on the show, and I'm very excited to be back with this particular guest. Let's hear from her right now.
1: My name is Gina Prince Bythewood, and my craft is writing and directing.
0: I should say it's been an eventful four months, to say the least. January and February feels like a completely different universe. And here it's July, in the middle of a summer movie season unlike anything we've ever seen. However, filmmaker Gina Prince Bythewood has something for you that I think goes a long way toward reminding us of the blend of spectacle and character that really connects with audiences this time of year. The film is called The Old Guard based on the Image comic series by Greg Rucca, who also wrote the screenplay. It's a tale of centuries-old warriors who have fought for what they believe in across time and find themselves fighting for their very lives in our time. If you haven't seen it yet, I urge you to do so before diving into this discussion. Everything is on the table here. Tons of spoilers. But as I think you'll see, The Old Guard is the perfect source material for a filmmaker like Gina, who I've known since Beyond the Lights, her astonishing 2014 romance, and who I've certainly admired since Love and Basketball, her astonishing 2000 romance. Indeed, as I see it, Gina trades in romance in all of its textures. She brings a delicate but assured touch to everything she's involved in, whether on the big screen or in the world of television, with projects like the riveting limited series Shots Fired. The Old Guard is no exception. In this episode, Gina will take you through this production from beginning to end. She'll discuss visual choices and editorial and music decisions, and she'll contextualize the work within the framework of her career, or as you'll soon hear her describe it, her fairy tale. All of that and more is straight ahead. So let's dive in. All right. First of all, I just want to tell you, I watched Beyond the Lights again last week. And I saw
1: your tweet. <laughs> you, you saw my tweets. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that movie messes me up. So well done. I was just a teary thank mess you. all over again. I just, I love that movie so much. I wanted to you. mention that at the top because I hope people seek it out. It's a fantastic movie, Gina. I love it so much. So,
1: no, thank you very much. You were absolutely a champion. <laughs> I still love the movie.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. So is this one, uh, The Old Guard, uh, new to Netflix. We like to start at the beginning on these projects. So that's what we're going to do mm-hmm. start at the very top. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to find out, first of all, like, Greg Rucka's comic book, how did that source material first come to you? Did it first come to you in the form of his script? Were you at all familiar with the comic beforehand?
1: Mm-hmm. It came to me as a script from Skydance. I hadn't been familiar with the, with the graphic novel, but I was familiar with Greg's work because of Lazarus, which is something, honestly, I'd read as I was doing Silver and Black and fell in love with his work and fell in love with his female characters. They just hit different so, yeah, I, I got the script from Skydance, which was exciting given I love the films that that, that they put out. Um, I had just watched MI6 a couple times. I'm so blown away by that film. And, you know, they work in such a big space. And, and so it's it's exhilarating to get something from them, especially uh, a female director. And they were very intentional on wanting a female director for the old guard. And so they sent it to me and What's exciting to me is that what got me in the room was Love and Basketball and Beyond the Lights, Mm -hmm. that they loved those films and loved the characters and the depth. I'm speaking as they were speaking to me (laughs) at the depth that I brought to those characters. They wanted that for the old guard. They wanted it to feel like an action drama yeah so given the struggles that women have in in even getting in the room, the fact that those two smaller films got me into the room um, was really different, but really gave me a confidence.
0: I feel that. I mean that's great that they would look to talent that makes movies like that for a movie like this. You don't get that a lot. Yeah. So you said that Greg's female characters particularly hit differently. What Can you expand on that? What do you mean?
1: They're not hypersexualized. They're complicated. they're they're warrior. Nest, their fight is just innate. It's not as if, you know, something dramatic happened in, in their past that forced them to find their strength and suddenly become a warrior. They were just born with that. Um, and that honestly is something that, that I grew up with being an athlete. Those are the women I grew up around. Um, but you don't often get to see the that type of woman in film.
0: Yeah. When you looked at the comic, how did it strike you visually? Just tell me about the visual storytelling on the page and how you wanted to lift that in some ways to what you were doing. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it was really, it was fascinating to go from reading the script to then running to go track down the graphic novel to read it and to to see it on the page and how Leandro, the illustrator, kind of lifted what I had seen or what I'd read, lifted that visually. I, I loved the use of silhouette, absolutely. And that was something... Early on, I knew I wanted to bring to the the visual look of the old guard. But it's interesting because, you know, in seeing it, it's it is a in reading it on the graphic novel page. It is a violent movie. And this is this film has violence. But I knew pretty quickly that I would be unapologetic about the violence, but I never wanted it to feel like a celebration. And mm-hmm. I have to say, I felt I felt that the the graphic novel gave me some of that, um, already the a grounded feel to it. And mm-hmm. in reading the graphic novel, the one, the biggest thing that struck me that I was very proud of Greg and Skydance for already starting the journey was that Niall character of Niall had nothing to do with the, really the second half of, of the story in the graphic novel. And so the fact that they recognize when we make this into a script, one of the things Greg wanted to do was expand her character, which they had started to do once I came aboard, that was something that Greg and I really focused on even more and really wanted to make sure that she had a full arc and story that she had agency in in the climax and in and in the plot and um and gave her a beginning middle and end which she hadn't had. Uh, And again, gratefully, Greg was all for that. He loved the opportunity to take what he had done, you know, two years ago and now improve it and make it even better. And so um, that was exciting. And then the other big thing that I knew I wanted to bring to this that Greg was absolutely open to was, you know, in my preparation uh, to direct this, I read this great book called On Killing, which Mm -hmm. is considered the definitive book on, you know, for soldiers and, what it talks about is that the act of taking a life is as damaging psychologically as as your fear of losing your life. And I thought that that's something we never really get to see in action films. Killing is just killing without really any repercussions or thought, you kind of kill and move on, you know? And I thought it was so right for Andy. She's been compelled to kill for thousands of years. Yeah. And what would the real toll of that be? And then with Niall, a Marine who in the story kills her first person and the fact that it does haunt her. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that that would be a great connective piece between the two women, um, a way that, you know, this veteran and this rookie could really connect. And I felt like it could bring an added depth to a story like this in an action film uh, like yeah. this.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm going to talk more about Nylon Kiki in a bit, but... Uh... <laughs> Uh, just sticking with visuals, uh, moving away from the what was on the page and, and kind mm-hmm. of how, the, I should mention the artist, Leandro Fernandez, uh, drew yeah. the comic for Greg. What did you want the movie to look like beyond that? Mm-hmm. Uh, what were some touchstones, inspirations, references, anything like that that comes to mind?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there were two phrases that that I really came up with that I knew I wanted to use when I talked to my crew visually. And that was intimately epic and pretty gritty. Intimately Epic for me was the story at its core is about relationships and wanted it to be very character-driven. It's about family. It's about love. You need to be intimate. You need to just touch on the details, not only with how a character is moving, but the details of their world. Yeah, this is a very big story. It's got a lot of scope, and that's important, too, given that these characters are global and their story is global. So being able to marry those two, I knew pretty quickly that I wanted to go handheld, you know, And talking with, with Tammy Riker, DP, she and I talked about wanting to use 65 uh, millimeter cameras, which hadn't been used in a film like this, certainly not handheld because they're so big, yeah. you know, and this is an action film. So you want to use, you know, the little joints to get in, but we love the look of it. We talked about Beale Street um, a lot, mm. just the beauty of Beale Street. Yeah. And wanting to bring that into a film like The Old Guard, yet still maintain that grounded feel. So um, that's where that pretty gritty then came from. How do we show real life and the, you know, just the juxtaposition of of like a a dirty alleyway, but how do you make that beautiful? Mm -hmm. And so really always trying to find that balance of real life heightened, Um, again, given This is based on a graphic novel, but never wanting it to feel like a comic book. So um, those were, again, two of the phrases that we really followed. And and my use of silhouette was really my homage to the graphic novel, especially in the kill floor. Mm -hmm. Um, The kill floor panels, you know, when I first just read it, it was like, wow, this is amazing. And then once I got the gig... It was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do it? It was scary for a second. But then when you start with what is the story of the scene, then it's exciting. And then because I know how to do that. If I start with a story in the same way I would do a love scene, what is the story of the love scene first? Mm -hmm. And then you build from there. So the kill floor, um, what is it about? And what it allowed me to do is. For me, how can I tell the story of the old guard who fights with archaic weapons? How can they believably defeat 16 mercenaries with modern weaponry? And so starting with that question, understanding that the old guard learned for thousands of years to kill up close Um, hand to hand or with an axe, a sword, that is like face to face killing. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas modern soldiers, they learn with a gun shooting at targets 30, 40, 50 yards away is very impersonal. And I felt like that was the thing that gave the old guard the advantage. The fact that if they ran up on somebody with a gun, there would be that slight hesitation from those who are not used to that kind of combat. And Mm -hmm. that is what the old guard used in that scene. In addition to I needed to illustrate how these four move and finish each other's sentences with with the action and um, with the fighting and just creating that, that choreography. And so that's that was the fun part of, of starting with the story. What are we trying to tell? And then building the action from there.
0: Yeah. We're going to talk more about that when we get into the production phase here in a bit, because I also want to talk about that airplane sequence, which is amazing. But sticking with the pre-production still, this is a little more abstract, I guess, but a recent profile mentioned something about your work that I totally agree with and wanted to ask about, which is this prevalent theme of family. And, uh, I I think it's in each of your films. It's in your films in personal ways, you know, the, the end of of beyond the lights and certainly love and basketball has, has, has so much of you in it, but, Mm -hmm. uh, just this idea of family. And then it works its way into this movie obviously as well. Uh, I don't know, not to put you on the couch, but like,
1: <laughs> what's that about?
0: Why is that so prevalent, you think? Why were you drawn were you drawn to those elements within this particular mm-hmm. source material as well?
1: I think certainly being a writer, it's amazing therapy. Mm. And I've been able to put that into my directing as well. When I take a gig or when I decide what I'm going to write, it has to be a guttural connection because you have to be that passionate about it. I love what I do, but it is incredibly hard. And so if I'm going to be on something for two, three years, I have to love it. There has to be a reason, a need uh, to tell it. And so, you know, for me, every film I've done has been about dealing with something that I was struggling with. And, you know, I, <laughs> I could go through through each. But, you know, family is certainly something as I have been reflecting as I've gotten older. You know, the fact that, you know, my family was so eclectic. And it came together and it was my saving grace given being adopted and, and being given up in such a unfortunate way and having to come to terms at a certain point that that was actually the best thing to be given up. It's not a negative thing to be given up. I was given up, but I was put into a better situation, knowing the situation I would have been raised in and the fact that my adoptive parents are my parents. And there's there's just no question they raised me, even though, I, you know, I didn't come from them. I do come from them because that that was the environment.
0: You are who you are because of how you grew up, who, who raised Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I, I've always been fascinated by that, how as much as we want to overcome any negativity that, that happened in our childhood, it still affects us as as grown ups. That's just something I've of always been fascinated about and and it it does absolutely start with family and and what family can be whether it be you know my family or my team you know in terms of playing sports and how much being a part of a team protected me and saved me at at certain points and um friends throughout the years it's just and then creating my own family and and having my two boys and like family is everything, but it is what you create and, and sometimes you're thrust into a situation that becomes a family and other times a family can be detrimental to you. So I just I love that theme and, and um as I said it's it's great to be able to work out the things I need to work out up on screen. Yeah. In front of the whole world.
0: And sometimes family is a group of millennia trekking <laughs> warriors <laughs> as they are in the old guard. Uh let's talk about casting. Charlize Theron is at the center of this ensemble, obviously. And I'm just curious, how important was that central node Mm -hmm. in kind of informing and helping to fill out the surrounding players?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, when we, when Greg and I and Skydance, you know, we developed this, well, Skydance and Greg developed it for a year. And then when I came, it was about six months. And, you know, the whole time you're developing, you're, you're thinking about who can embody these characters and, and, and knowing that I wanted it to have a grounded, real feel that, that started with casting. And I wanted to have dope actors in every role. Um, like, that's the direction I wanted. Mm-hmm. And, um, but in that, we knowing that I also wanted the stunts and the action to feel grounded and real, I needed the actual actors to be doing that. Um, and that you don't always get both in the same package. Doing action is very, very, very hard. And there's very few um, women out there that have been in the space. And so Charlize is a very good actor. And I knew that I could trust that she would put in the work to to do the action because she's done it before, obviously, with Mad Max. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it really, it really was about that, that mm-hmm. uh, we felt she had both. And it really started there. And it says something about our film that we had her attached um and then when we started going after the other actors again it was I need people who can go toe to toe with her and and uh in filling it out it was exciting to Mm -hmm. to have Mateus who does not do films like this sit across from me and say that uh (laughs) but then say but I want to do this one um because of the speech that I get to say because of this this you know the 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 depth of this Booker character and and what he does, and you know Marwan, who you know was willing to read for this after he had just done you know this billion dollar movie (laughs) with Aladdin, but he wanted to do this. He wanted to play Joe. He wanted to give that speech, and that was it. Was just really exciting um, to you know to have these actors and Chiwetel. I mean, come on, (laughs) Chiwetel is just. I mean, it's one thing to watch him work up on screen, it's nothing to be a couple feet away and see it. I yeah. mean, he is truly a genius. And um, it was exciting to me as a director to to have such good actors in every role. It made me step up. Um, but it was also exciting and inspiring for me to, to have these cool character conversations with these actors. And yeah. I haven't touched on Kiki yet.
0: You know I'm coming with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to talk about Kiki Lane because... There's something interesting to me about uh, your films. You've been crucial early in the careers of Sanaa Lathan, Gugu mbatha and and now mm-hmm. Kiki Lane. You must have really loved uh, Beale Street, huh? <laughs> but working with them, I'm I'm curious. Is there something shared among those three actresses that comes to mind at all?
1: Yeah, there there is. Um, they embody really the four things that I need. For an actor, for me to work with an actor Um, and with both Gugu and um, Kiki, it was a thing where I had been searching for uh, the actress for a while. And then in their auditions, I knew literally five seconds with both of them. Oh, my God. Like, that's it. But, you know, for me, you've got to have chops and craft and not everybody trains. But those are three actresses who all went to school, you know, Sanaa went to Yale Drama School, Gugu to the Royal Academy, and uh, Kiki, um, I'm blanking, but she went to drama school, and mm-hmm. a really good one. So I love that. I love that they have that craft to fall back on, that they took it so seriously that they they made it their life's work to learn. Um, you have to have work ethic. You're not going to outwork me, but I want you to <laughs> come close, and I want to know that I can trust you will put in the work, Sanaa. My God, put in so much work, even without a guarantee of a part for Love and Basketball. Gugu trained for months to to be able to, you know, perform the way she did both yeah. with dance and with with um, the music.
0: That's a transformation.
1: Oh, my God. It's <laughs> it's st- I, within know. the
0: movie, even too. when she finally pulls out her her hair. It's it's an, uh, I'm not going to sit here and talk about Beyond the Lights the whole time, I swear. <laughs>
1: That's OK. But yeah. Um And then Kiki. Um, she had never done anything remotely related to action or stunts, yeah. um, but I trusted her when I when I had the conversation with her after our audition, when I knew that she was the one um, and told her how much work it was going to take, that she had to take running lessons, that she had to fill out her body, that she had to train relentlessly for months, and I, I believed her, and she did. She did two a days, five days a week for oh, a God. couple months um, to get to the place that she did. Um, The third is a boldness. I need you to just have the courage to go there, whether it be in a, in a big action scene or a love scene or a very emotional scene that you won't hold back. I mean, for me, I feel like my job as a director is to create a a space that you feel safe enough to give me everything. And then I need you to, to have the courage to do that. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth most important thing is be a good person. It's be, be a cool person. It's, too damn hard for any nonsense. I just want people who respect the craft, are about the work, that love the work, and are good people. Because that's, yeah, it's just too intimate a process. It's too hard.
0: Life's too short for that nonsense.
1: Life is absolutely too short. So they all share those four traits.
0: Awesome. Well, let's move into uh, the production phase here. Spoke about this profile earlier. This was the, the title. Bernie Mac apparently called you the quiet storm as a director. What does that mean to you?
1: (laughs) It means that I don't, I never raise my voice on set. I never get too high or too low. It's probably the athlete thing. I'm just hyper focused, but I'm like, I know what I'm doing. I come incredibly prepared and you know, I'd I'd love what I do. So I I feel like I bring hopefully a very good energy to set, a focused energy and excited energy and inspirational energy
0: Is that natural or is that something you work at?
1: I think it's I think it's natural. I mean it's it's twofold. With sports, I was always a leader with you know, always a point guard or you know, always a lead setter in volleyball. Like always taking those those front and center positions. But I always wanted to lead by example and I would absolutely I'm gonna outwork everybody and I hope that everybody steps up to that. The only difference between me on the court and me on set, me on court is actually incredibly emotional like because I'm very introverted and shy in in, you know, in real life. But on the court, I could let that that out. And I was very vocal and I would scream and cry and, and throw my body around the floor. And um, but I got away with it because I was good. It was like, you know, <laughs> this crazy person. Um, but on set, you know, it, it's so important and especially if being a woman you have to inspire and you have to connect with your crew and they have to, they have to trust you, um, they have to be inspired by you. And for me, it, it just feels like that, like how, how can I connect to get these hundreds of people to come together to help me realize my vision. And you realize very early on, it's not about screaming and intimidating people, it is literally connecting with them on a human level. And I I love that part of it, love that I learned that very early on. And I think, again, because I'm introverted and shy, I'm not really demonstrative. Um, And it's funny because my editor says she always has to lean in to hear (laughs) what I have to say. But she says that's actually a that's like a, a little secret superpower. She thinks I do it on purpose, but she says you force people to lean in and listen to you. And uh, again, it's not on purpose. But it's like a uh, sound
0: mixing trick. <laughs> <laughs> Get people to pay attention to the drama.
1: Exactly. I think it's a combination of all those things.
0: Cool nickname, man. I wish Bernie Mac gave me a nickname. <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, so this is obviously the biggest feature you've tackled, uh, you know, scale, scope, things like that. And I'm curious about accumulated wisdom. And how Mm. that's applied, because you've accumulated a lot of it, you know, in writer's rooms early on, developing series for television, establishing series with pilots. Uh, You come with a well of wisdom. So talk to me about, I guess, what you've learned and how you applied it and any specific ideas that come to you uh, on this particular film.
1: Wow. Um, Yeah, you certainly, after 20 years, accumulate a lot. I will say foremost, the thing that, that that experience gives you is the confidence that you need. I literally, before I sit down to write my next script, before I, you know, start pre-production, I have this incredible fear of I forgot how to do it. <laughs> um, and it takes me, I literally have to read a script I've written before or watch a movie I've done to remind myself, oh, okay, you, you do know how to do this, calm down. And I think for this film, certainly The Old Guard... And, you know, uh, I will name drop, but he's a dope dude. Um, What was very helpful to me is the chance that I got to talk to Ryan Johnson about, you know, before I started this and visiting him on set. Last Jedi, I had asked him, how do you not get overwhelmed by the bigness of this? Like, how do you just literally not just sink under the pressure? And he said that no matter how much money you have, you have to start by telling a story first, and that constantly was in the loop in my head when stuff got really big for me, because that is it. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much money you have, how many toys you have. You have to tell a good story. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, OK, I I have done that in the past. Let me focus on that here mm-hmm. and then take what that extra money gives you. A lot of extra money uh, gives you more <laughs> time and gives you more toys and does allow your mind to go wherever it wants to go the way that that I work with my crew again, doesn't matter that I'm on this whole nother plane. I want to keep doing the same personal thing that I do. And, um, but honestly, one of the biggest helps was doing silver and black. It was Mm -hmm. a year and a half. It didn't go, Mm -hmm. but we were in soft prep and I was doing vis effects and, and, and talking about the stunt sequences and doing wardrobe and, and, being in that new big sandbox, which is different. And all of that that I learned from there, of course, it was a disappointment that it didn't end up going, but I learned so much just in in doing that project that didn't go and being able to then feel like it's not this overwhelming leap I have to do now going into the old guard, but, oh, shit, I actually know a bunch of this because I just did it.
0: And that was just so everyone knows, that's the Silver Sable Black Cat... Uh project that you were working on that unfortunately didn't come to fruition, but did not. we got the old guard. <laughs>
1: exactly. Which is, what is I, everything <laughs> I wanted to do.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which is a bit of a globetrotter, by the way. And, and that, that's exciting too. Uh, so tell me about shooting locations and mm-hmm. uh, using that atmosphere for what you're doing, but also being creative and though, though you've got a budget, stretching your dollar. So talk to me about th- those kinds of innovations.
1: It was great because in being in that smaller budget world, you have to learn to be creative. I think even more creative because you have to figure stuff out. I will say beyond the lights, we have a bunch of set pieces. How, on $7 million, how am I possibly going to do this? How am I going to show an award show? How am I going to show a big concert at the end? So you have to be really creative. You're shooting on a on a shortened you know, scheduled, which, you know, is 33 days where now I'm I'm going to suddenly 63 days. But that mentality, I never wanted to change that mentality. I never wanted to say, oh, let's just shoot one scene in one day. I would be bored to tears. Mm -hmm. Like, so I I went in knowing that I was going to keep that that same mentality. But what I was excited about was the chance to shoot on locations in places where I could show the scope, where I could go 360. Um, That's a big deal as opposed to, knowing I can only shoot, you know, this much, because that's how much we could afford to, you know, decorate this or, or make this this exterior look like such and such. Here, you know, I'm in Morocco and uh, I have, I get to shoot everything, you know, mm-hmm. um, and even in recreating Afghanistan or South Sudan in Morocco, the landscape of Morocco is so different in, in different parts. And we were able to travel all in Morocco to get that. And again, to be able to, shoot 360 and get that scope and then in the UK just have the run of the place it just it makes a difference to be able to go wide and and show that and for this story which was so global I I always wanted it to feel authentic that we were really there location scouting was like I mean come on like that's when I was like I'm in another world because I actually brought my my older son because he was about to leave for college and literally we got to go to Paris Nice and we went to Morocco, Marrakesh, Air Food, went to the Sahara, um and then to London like all in one trip. And having guides show us, have being in the best restaurants, like it was just ridiculous. It was and I really <laughs> said, Wow, this is this is like how do you go back from this?
0: We talked about the kill room earlier. I wanted to talk about that plane <clears throat> scene, just to kinda mm-hmm. drill in on one particular sequence uh Mm -hmm. both in 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 the shooting of it and you know post-production was probably considerable there too with with sound and stuff just just kind of walk me through that sequence this is Mm -hmm. if if you're listening to this i warned you at the top to make sure you've seen the movie first because we go deep on these so this is this is the the scene where you know the the plane is sort of Plummeting and it's it's intense and it seems like it's shot pretty smartly too. This was Tammy, your DP on this uh, as well. Yeah. So 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 just talk talk to me about that sequence.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I when I read the script, I got excited about the plane fight mm-hmm. because I felt like I hadn't seen it and I was really excited about it. As I said, I knew I wanted for me the best action sequences really are character driven and emotional and have a story to it. And so in in having that approach, I knew I needed the actors. I needed Charlize and Kiki to really be doing uh, most of the, the stunt work and fighting in there so that we could see them. We could see the performance, um, see the build of the of the story within it. So, you know, it absolutely started there. And early on, just we talked about it and it started with okay, it's two people fighting in a confined space, an airplane, how do we want to approach it? And for me, again, grounded and real. So what did that mean? It meant we didn't give ourselves a crutch. We built that plane and there were no flying walls. Like it was it. We we wanted to be as confined as the the characters. We felt that that would give it, you know, we would put the audience in it. Um, It made it tougher, no doubt, especially with the 65 millimeter cameras. Um, but it, it just felt right. We knew we wanted the majority of the shots to be eye level so that, again, we're, we're in it. It feels like a real fight as opposed to being really low and or really high. And, and for me, taking the audience out of it. So always feeling real, always being able to tell the story of the fight. Um, we shot it with long lenses, which was a big deal, um, given most. Action scenes are shot wide angle because it's easier to hold focus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Here again, how how can we make it even tougher on this? <laughs> but knowing again that I wanted to be able to read expressions and, and read the performances, and wanting to keep this pretty gritty look that we talked about, that was important. And then this is a plane up in the air of a um, you know a stage on hydraulics that is really moving, and I wanted to do that. I wanted the realness not only visually because, of course, you can shake a camera if you wanted. I wanted the realness, but I also wanted it for the actors as well Mm -hmm. Um, because I think as much as we play act, giving them the most reality as possible, I think, influences the performances. The hardest thing for me is that I am deathly afraid of flying and, you know, we're locked into the thing. They shut the door (laughs) because, as I said, we're we're up in the air. Every time those (laughs) hydraulics went on, First of all, I'm literally, I have my, you know, my uh, monitor in one hand and I'm holding on to the other. Um, And it was laughable at at some points because it was rocking so hard. And I'm literally, my mind is going to, I'm going to die because it it feels like you're in a real plane and had to continually calm myself. But so that was, that was really the approach. And then also in building the plane, we knew let's do it. You know, the lighting is all natural lighting so that we're not worried about, Honestly, so we could shoot 360 and always have the camera moving. And so just in the technical aspect of it, it was it was really making it as clear as possible that we could see the fighting, um, that there wouldn't be hyper editing, that we could hopefully marvel at the skill and athleticism of these two women, uh, which we don't often get to see.
0: Uh, sorry to interrupt, but I don't, I don't mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. I don't think you really cut outside of the plane in that sequence, um, D.
1: We only cut outside, and that's, I'm glad you brought that up. We only cut outside twice, and that was to show the plane plummeting.
0: Just, but, yeah.
1: you know, for a moment, we had thought when Tammy and I were coming up with, with shots, it's like, oh, you know, it would be cool as if, like, the camera was outside and we see the fight through the windows, <laughs> you know, kind of through the clouds. And, and then we thought, but that's not what it is. It's not That's not yeah. that's putting not something between you
0: and it. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And so we we we, you know, took that idea away, but um, you know, that that's the fun part and then it was about you know, the the two actors going at it and uh, it was the very first thing that we shot. Oh, really? Which was scary a little bit at first um, but it also made sense because they had been training and getting the choreography for that and my I was starting to think Yes, as much as I would like to start with two people sitting at a table, like, you know, (laughs) set the tone, I can make that day. I didn't want the the actors to forget everything. They just spent months training and trying to get that back up. And it was kind of, you know what? Go big or go home. Yeah. This is a different world. Let's just go. And um, and it was fun. And, you know, one of my big templates in talking with my incredible stunt team, um, Jeff Haberstad and Danny Hernandez, who designed the fights, and Bryson Count's one of the things that I showed them endlessly was the bathroom fight in in uh, MI Six. That is a perfect,
0: <laughs> so good,
1: perfect action scene. And of course, they said, "Okay, but you know, they they had four weeks to shoot that, <laughs> and and you have four days to, to shoot the airplane fight." Like, but I was like, "You know what? But we're going to reach for that. That is that is our you know that's our north star. We we want to be that good." And what made this scene so good was. That yeah, was the performance of it. You saw the frustration building and, and the what the F is happening with with uh, Ethan Hunt and, and who is this guy and those two having to fight and work together. Yeah. Like You saw all that. And that's, again, really the template uh, that I wanted for the plane fight.
0: Awesome. And then, just before we get to post production here, uh, we kind of touched on this a little bit here. But what I think separates this considerably from other films in the genre, and it's indicative of the touch you bring to it, is there's a tenderness at play, and it's it's genuine tenderness. It's not melodrama. Part of that, I'm sure, is instinctual. But why do you think it's key to something like this that's otherwise, for lack of a better word, muscular?
1: Because all of the muscularity in the action scenes and and uh, set pieces. If you don't care about the characters, then none of that means anything. And um that's that's for me it's got to start with character. I know I won't name the film, but there was a, a a couple years ago, very big action film that I went to, I was excited to see and we're getting to the climax and it's this giant spectacle of people beating on each other and I found myself just sinking back in my seat cuz I didn't care. And there were no stakes to it, mm-hmm. and there was no jeopardy and I was like in my mind ah what what is happening?" which is why I love the direction that then film started going after that with the Black Panther with logan, where i I cried in both of those movies. I was mm-hmm. that attached to the characters, the fact that I cried when a villain died when the and i don't you know he's a interesting villain, but killmonger, you know when Logan oh, yeah. died yeah. um so that's, that's what you need. You need to connect and the audience needs to connect with the characters to care about those big spectacle e- uh, elements.
0: I'm going to get you to tell me what that movie was when we finish recording. <clears throat> Let's talk about uh, post-production now. First, tell me about your relationship with your ed- editor, Tara oh, Shropshire. Yeah. This goes all the way back to Love and Basketball. Uh, we actually, yeah. the first show we, we did here was uh, Ava DuVernay and Spencer Averick. Mm-hmm. for When They See Us and Taralyn uh cut uh, at least one of those episodes but yeah this relationship with you goes all the way back to your first film so tell mm-hmm. me about that relationship in the editing room
1: yeah uh, I mean it is it's everything um, the way Taralyn came to me with with Love and Basketball is indicative of of our relationship and um, you know Spike had suggested her and I had seen Eve's Bayou and loved Yves Bayou um but also it was my first film, and I was looking at in my mind thinking I need to have the you know the best editor who has had an incredible amount of credits who could you know really help me with my first. And but I had a great meeting with Terilyn, and she had she had a very slim resume at that point. But she had used Bayou, which I loved. We had a great meeting, and then after she sent me a five-page letter about why she wanted to do the film. Um, why it was important to her, what the film meant to her. And that level of passion, I realized I want that next to me. I don't want this list of a ton of films that some are good and some are not so good. I I wanted that passion over perceived more experience, and I've never regretted it ever, um, because that's what she brings into the edit room. That same passion that I bring of why I take a project, she has that same thing, and the edit room—it has to be the safe space, because in those first couple of weeks, it is fraught. Every single film, like you come off of it, and you just don't know. There's so much uncertainty. Did you get it all? Did you make a good film? Did you fail? Like I may mess those first couple of weeks, and um, where Terry is ahead of me, she is the first audience. She's she's seen everything. To have that level of trust, where when I'm shooting. She calls me every morning after she's watched dailies. It's just our thing. And I eagerly await that call because to hear her say, yeah, you got it. I trust that and I can move on and not fear that. Is she right? Did I really get it? No, I trust her. And when on those very rare occasions where she said, you know what? I, I think you're missing this thing. I will go back and get it just based Uh, on what she says. So yeah, the, the level of trust in that room, the fact that we have such great arguments and it's never about ego. It is always only about the movie and what is best for the movie. That's why it's such a safe space in there. And those 10 weeks that it's just us is the best time because it's a free space to try. Um, what if is, is her, her favorite phrase what if what if what if we do this instead what if we cut the scene what does that do and it's it's trial uh and sometimes error and sometimes inspiration but it's safe and once you have to start letting others into it that safety is you know in in many respects is gone because it's it's a scary thing because suddenly there's more voices and some yeah. voices have more power than others and so then it goes from being safe to being a fight, essentially. And that's not to say I didn't have great collaborators. You know, Skydance are amazing to work with. I, I have to say, uh, I really, I cannot imagine doing a film without Terry. I think she makes me better. And, you, you know, you need that great collaborator. And the fact that I got to bring her onto this film, um, because I knew she could do it, but it's the same thing as the way that Hollywood looks at female directors. Well, you haven't done it so we can't give you the gig, but how do you get the gig if you've never done it? Yeah. it's the same thing you know certainly with female editors and black female editors you are you are limited by Hollywood and it takes you know me getting this job, Ava getting a job you know to to be able to pull up our collaborators who have gotten us to this point mm-hmm. um, you know and uh, so it was important it was essential she was she was my mot as Don Granger. Uh, from Skydance, there's a no and there's a mot, and a mot is no matter what I'm not doing it if I don't have Terry, and that she was my my one mot.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm often curious what filmmakers discover in the edit. As mm-hmm. you know, there's no shortage of things that come to you once you've got all mm-hmm. your footage in that room. Uh, so, what about the old guard presented itself to you in the editing room differently than maybe? you had conceived it or in a a more impactful way than you had initially thought you would film it or Mm -hmm. cut it or anything like that?
1: You know, there was, it was interesting, there was an element that was within the old guard that was supposed to happen a little early. The revelation that uh, she's mortal Mm -hmm. was supposed to happen earlier, but in watching it, it was very clear to me that it wasn't working where, where it was. And it seemed on paper, it seemed to make perfect sense. Um, But that's, what's so amazing sometimes when something is up as a whole uh, visually, it just, it wasn't working. And so then it was, but it was so obvious to me where it should work, which is where it is in the film. So that's actually, it's exciting when that happens, when there's a problem, but then you can, you can figure it out. The use of flashbacks, it's again, you can write that in the script, but how do you make them feel a part of the narrative, make them feel seamless? When do they come in? How much dialogue do you have within them? Um, that was, that took a long time to figure out where where to lay them in and, you know, and how much to show, you know, for me and Terry, what we found is less is more. Um, leave them wanting more is really a, a really important phrase to us, never covet you know there are things that I spent a long time shooting that I was able to say it doesn't work and and yeah. take it out but I wasn't always like that but um you have to be that ruthless it has to be just about the movie and then just the airplane scene took a long time to cut because it was that constant balance of showing the action who were we, who were we on in the specific moment are we getting the right reactions that are telling the story that are building Nile's frustration that's building Andy testing Nile? Are we clearly reading that? Is that the best punch? But wait, that was the best reaction, but that punch wasn't great in that. So, you know, what do we do in that respect? It was a lot it took, you know, it took a lot of time, but again, once you finally know that you've gotten it, then, you know, that's the exciting part, but
0: good thing you shot that scene first. <laughs> Time to work with it. Uh, Tell me about your relationship with music in your films, Mm -hmm. because I think you make such singular choices, particularly with needle drops and sometimes with score Mm -hmm. cues that seem like they're needle drops. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, they, you know, the, the score in this one is fantastic. Dustin O'Halloran and Volker Bertelman. Dustin and Volker. They're awesome. Uh, they but, but then, you know, Secret Life of Bees, you had these three superstars on camera, actually, which is uh, just kind of an interesting note as well. Queen Latifah and Jennifer Hudson, Alicia Keys. Mm-hmm. Diane Warren, the great Diane Warren on Beyond the Lights, helping with a, with one of the songs there and all the great yeah. music that you guys did there. And uh, obviously going way back to Terrence Blanchard, loving basketball, Basketball, mm-hmm. uh, more of the Spike Lee connection there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But just tell me about your relationship with music, scores, soundtracks, all mm-hmm. of it uh, as it comes to movies.
1: Yeah, I'll start with music and songs. I love songs for score. It uh, It's my favorite part, uh, honestly, of the post process. It drives Terry crazy sometimes because I'm like, yeah, let's, let's stop working on that and let's, let's work on the song. But Terry, though, shares my same love of music as well. But um, there is something with finding a perfect song that that elevates a moment. It doesn't do the work for you, but it elevates it. And it starts in my writing process. I create soundtracks when I write. And it's just songs that, that open me up emotionally to, to what I'm writing. And I feel like uh, the power of music, the power of a great song to be able to add that to a film and and add that extra level of emotion. I mean, I love it. And um, it, it is a, you know, it's, it's a lot of trial and error. We try so many songs though. Other times we know immediately, you know, that's it, but we are just fed songs. We have a great uh, music supervisor, Julie Michaels, who did beyond the lights and now this, who, you know, just feeds us, feeds us. And we listen to songs, music constantly. Um, throughout the the post-process. And there are times when it's a great song, but it just doesn't work in the film. But other times you hear a song and it's like just one element is interesting and then you put it to the scene and it's just like, oh my God, that's it. So it was really exciting, certainly with The Old Guard. I knew going in that I wanted it to have a different feel musically than than what we typically see. Um, and sometimes I wanted to be counter to, you know, What we're seeing up on screen um, with the music, especially during the action sequences, because I wanted the action sequences to have an emotion to them. And I felt Mm -hmm. that songs could work. But also given that this is a violent film and I'm always working with what is the tone of this. I felt the music in this really helped me with that as well, with the tone of the film and never allowing the violence to overwhelm uh, the piece um, because of that. Score is tougher for me. I love hearing the score. I love our score in The Old Guard so much. It is hard for me, though, to talk because talking in that language, I can talk in song language all day long, but score, it's such a gift. I do not understand (laughs) how, you know, Terrence does it, how how Mark Isham and Dustin and Volker, like how, how, where does it come from? How is it always different? And so I find it sometimes hard to express what I want. So I just have to go back to what is this scene about? What am I trying to evoke? But uh, I I just, I love the balance uh, of using song for score and also, you know, a traditional score. And um, I've been very fortunate to work with such great people. And, you know, the hardest thing for me is I have a temp score for so long that I do fall in love with, you know, (laughs) The score, because obviously you're pulling it from other great scores, you know. And so, you know, they call it temp dub love. And it's real. (laughs) It is really real. But in this case with the old guard, what was amazing is that I never had it in this. They would send us a new piece. It was like, oh, my God. They just they understood what I was going for with this balance of contemporary and old world. And uh, they nailed it so early on that it was really a really dope process with them.
0: Yeah. Awesome. This is the last thing before we start to wind it down. You've set the franchise up pretty well, I think, for a sequel. So, you know, would you want to revisit these characters? Is there an old guard, two in you somewhere?
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting. You know, Greg Rucka, you know, his graphic novel, um, for him, it's a trilogy. And, mm-hmm. you know, his second one just came out a couple of weeks ago. So I know where the story is going for him, which is pretty great. So it really is up to the audience. If they're interested, if they want to see more, there's certainly more story to tell.
0: Awesome. Okay, before we uh, completely wrap it up, we've just got some questions we do at the end here to cool things down a little bit.
1: (laughs) Do my warm down.
0: (laughs) I saw you on a T-shirt and one of the uh, stills actually for this movie. It says fight for your fairy tale. Mm
1: -hmm. What does that mean to you? Oh, that's, that's, I saw that shirt. I had to have it. That's, that's my <laughs> career. Um, it's what I knew I wanted to do early on in my life in high school. And it's been a fight, certainly in applying for film school at UCLA and not getting in and having the fight to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, that totally changed the trajectory of my life. And it seems like so much of my career has been a fight, Loving basketball, a fight beyond the lights, a fight. But I fight because it's, this is the thing I love more than well, not more than my kids, <laughs> other than my kids, my husband. It is the thing I love most, and it's it is my fairy tale, and I feel like I'm living my fairy tale, but it's it's a fight,
0: yeah, what is something you do you tend to do to get out of a creative rut writer's block, things like that?
1: um I love driving yeah with uh with just music blasting it's it's great, it's the thing that absolutely gets me out.
0: I assume you have to kind of, like, go a little far so you can actually, like, drive instead of being stuck in traffic (laughs) around here, right? We talked about Silver and Black earlier, and you did the Cloak and Dagger pilot, now this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just curious if there were any favorite comic books growing up.
1: Archie. I was obsessed with the Archie comics.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. And then finally, if you were a member of the Old Guard, if you were a mortal, (laughs) what would you do with your time?
1: It is twofold. It is twofold. Uh, on a personal thing, I would I would jump out of a plane. It's something I've always wanted to do, to try and get over my fear. But I've been too scared to do it because I don't want to die. Um, Same. So, th- <laughs> <laughs> so that's on the personal. And then on on the bigger scale, I absolutely would do what I could to make the world a better place. Um, it's certainly within this national reckoning that we we're having. I would be absolutely. I mean, I'm in the middle of it now, but I would be I would be out there. Protecting, absolutely.
0: I love your shirt, by the way. It says, Phenomenally Black, everyone.
1: True that.
0: So, uh, yeah, thanks for talking today. This has been great. This movie's awesome. Uh, Congratulations. You You, you know, I've been a fan for a number of years, and I I thought this was just an excellent new step for you. And uh, if there is an old guard, too, I hope you'll come back to it. So. (laughs)
1: Appreciate that.
0: But thanks for taking some time to talk today. I'm sorry we can't be around each other and give each other some dap or something. But uh, soon. (sighs) Soon we'll see Death each other. COVID. For now, no Zoom will have to do it. But uh, <laughs> thanks so much, Gina. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Chris.
0: Okay, so I could gush about Gina all day because she's such an inspiring leader and a passionate artist. It comes out in everything she does. And to see it applied in an action-packed film like this, to see her peel back unexplored layers within a well-worn genre... It's a reminder that she's as versatile as they come and perhaps one of our most underrated contemporary filmmakers. So see it and judge for yourself. The Old Guard is available to stream on Netflix right now. The Call Sheet is a Netflix podcast hosted by me, Chris Tapley. The show is produced by Noah Eberhardt and edited by David Corwin. Stuart Park created all the original music.
1: And a special thanks to the team at Netflix.